When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Clear Eyes, Full Hearts, a podcast presentation of Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. This is an episode-by-episode look at the award-winning TV show Friday Night Lights, created by Peter Berg. I'm Stacey Orstano. I played Mindy Collette Riggins. And I'm Derek Phillips. I play Billy Riggins. Our assumption is that you, our listeners, have already watched the show. But if you haven't already, go watch Friday Night Lights, which is currently streaming on Peacock TV, because there will be spoilers in our podcast. If you want to support our show, subscribe for free to our new YouTube channel where you can access exclusive content like our broadcast from ATX TV Festival that dropped earlier this month to check it out. Go to YouTube and search Clear Eyes, Full Hearts, FNL Rewatch Podcast. And we are continuing to release new episodes of the podcast every other week. That's right. Join us as we recap all your favorite episodes and chat with amazing guests. And answer your questions. Email us what you want to know at ClearEyesFullHeartsPod at gmail.com. Today, we are talking about Season 4, Episode 3, In the Skin of a Lion, written by Patrick Massett and directed by Patrick R. Norris. Our NBC synopsis reads, Coach Taylor betrays Tammy's trust when the Lions need new uniforms and tensions between Vince and Luke threaten the team's already meager chances on the field. There were like 400 T's in that sentence. There were so many T's! Yeah, so there's a lot to unpack in this episode. Before we get started, though, let's answer some fan questions. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Our first question comes from Tim Garrity. <gasps> Garrity? Yeah, no relation to Buddy or Lila or Buddy Jr. Who writes, the baby that played Stevie, where is he now? Do you guys keep in touch? P.S. As a parent of twin boys, I love the line, no take backs, when Tim offers to watch him. Stevie was actually played by two kids. Mm -hmm. Twins. And I did, you know what? I used to follow their mom on Facebook. Yeah, I wonder if she's not there anymore. I haven't seen her. I'm sure she is, but I left Facebook. Oh, you did leave? Yeah, I left Facebook like three years ago. So what, they'd be 14 now? 13? Gosh, that's crazy to think about. Yeah. They're like junior high, high school. I totally want to know what they look like. Oh my gosh, if you're yeah. listening, please email us. I'm such an old fart. Yeah, I just made ourselves oh, feel man. really old. Let's go to the next question. I don't want to, I don't even want to continue doing the podcast anymore. Okay, guys, that's it for this week. It's been fun. <laughs> Our next question comes from Violet R, who asks, 
is there a season you like less than the others? What storyline did you care for the least, whether involving your own character or not? I mean, everybody has the same answer for this, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I think so. I think we've kind of covered it on the show. Season two murder. <laughs> season two murder. Yeah, I mean, I think we've kind of covered it pretty in depth on this show as well. I mean, was there ever a storyline like for you specifically, Stacy, that you didn't like? That I can think of. I think it was cool the way it ended up like with Tim in the chop shop and all that stuff. But I didn't love the chop shop storyline for Billy. But I do think it was cool because it got Tim out of the house and Tim making that sacrifice for us. Wait, is that the later story? Yeah, that's the later one. Spoiler alert. I mean, I know that that happens, but I haven't watched it. Yeah, I mean, that happens at the end of this season, actually. Oh God, it's going to break my heart. (laughs) I have to prepare for that. It gives such a good story arc for Tim. Yeah, it's a great story arc. I love that Billy's doing something illegal. Like that doesn't bother you. But like the chop shop thing just seemed a little like over the top. But whatever. Billy's always getting into trouble. It's always difficult because you want for your character to make the right decisions and go about things yeah. the right way. Do you start rooting for them a little bit? Yeah, and like, oh, you do. man, come you on. You do. <laughs> and I think that's the thing. I would, you know, it'd be like one step forward for Billy and then two steps back. And then it'd be like two steps forward, one step back. For me personally, I was rooting for Billy and I was like, come on, man, what are you doing? I can't think of another storyline I didn't like, though. Just murder. The murder storyline, not my favorite. All right. Our final question comes from Melissa Mack, who writes, I'm surprised how easy it was for me to change allegiance to the Lions in season four and think of the Panthers as the bad guys. How did you and the rest of the cast make that transition? Was it easy or were you torn? From a writing perspective, I thought the transition was really, really smooth. So seamless. I've discussed this as an actor. I mean, at the start of season four, it was like, what the hell is this season going to be? Like, who are all these new people? What are we going to do without Scott and Minka and Annie and Gaius? Is the audience going to care about these new characters? That was my fear going into it. Plus, we're Dylan Panthers. Is anyone going to care about the Lions? So there was a lot of reservations. Plus, just the history of television in general. We've seen, as I said before, when we had Jason Kadams on the show, like mm-hmm. we've seen writers and TV shows throw a big time major twist, a big wrench into the storyline midway through a show. Very rarely have you ever seen it actually work, though. So, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of hesitation. When this question was written to us was probably before our Jason Kadams episode dropped. So we do talk about it a lot yeah. with him because his brain is so good. Yeah. It worked. I also like, I wasn't a Panther person. I didn't wear blue. I didn't go to games. So I was like, okay, so now I cheer for another football team. It was just that Annie wasn't around that I was like, oh, this feels weird. Wow, Stacy, no allegiance. None. No allegiance None to the Panthers. None um, I will say this though, like this episode in particular is another one of those, there's a line in this episode where somebody calls Tammy a bitch. Oh, I know. And you're like, whoa, dude. They already booed her at a pep rally. I'm starting to really care about Michael B. Jordan's storyline already. You know what I mean? Like, I'm really interested. I want to know more about this kid, who he is. I want to know more about this Vince guy, especially when they introduce Angela Rone, his mom. Yeah. In the last episode, you're like, whoa, that's his home life. I need to know more. So the writers do kind of this really wonderful job of like dropping a fishing lure and it's out there and it's kind of jangling in the water and you're Sitting there as a fish going, wait, wait a minute. Yeah. What, what is that shiny thing? Listen, the audience came along with us. It was a little difficult for us just switching people and stuff, but it all worked in the end. Yeah. Plus, and we'll see a little bit more of this in this episode with Jess Merriweather's character. We wanted so badly for Landry to end up with Tyra. And then yeah. when that didn't work out, you just want Landry to end up with somebody. And there's kind of this sexual tension that's kind of hovering right now in the scenes that we've had with him and Jess. And it's like, okay. 
what's going on with that. So I'm also kind of digging what's going on with that storyline. Luke Cafferty's storyline is kind of interesting. So they're not jumping headlong into these stories immediately. They're enticing us. The yeah. writers are doing a good job of enticing us with these storylines. Plus, all the stuff that's going on with Coach is just interesting. We're going to talk about all that in the episode. Yeah, reservations, I think, early on with the new cast. And then as time went on, it was like, wow, this was a really smooth transition. I've said before that very rarely in the history of television is something done like this, where there is that smooth transition, but just kudos to our writers and all those new cast members. I remember specifically, and we've talked about it, there's a scene where Vince is like in the middle of the street and he's like pounding his chest screaming. I can't remember what episode it is, but I remember in that moment crying and going, oh, wow. I don't even know when I started to really care about this character, but now I'm already crying for him and they had me hooked. Well, I'll look forward to that. I'm just kidding. I already love him. All right, Stacey, ready to jump into this episode? There's a lot to cover. Yes, sir. You don't have to call me sir, but I kind of like you. Okay, sir. Sorry, sir. Actually, can you just call me sir from now on? Nope. Okay, moving on. Top of this episode, they're like pushing the car, doing stuff for the Panthers. I didn't understand the money exchange between Tim and Coach. Why did he need money? Coach is trying to do like a fundraiser right now and he's got the kids out there pushing this car, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And they're walking around with helmets out to try and get donations from local people. And what's happening is Coach is literally giving money to Tim to go give the local townspeople to go give to the kids so that the kids actually feel like they're getting these donations. Oh. Team building. You know what I mean? He's trying to build his team. I mean, he really does need donations, but it's also like, it doesn't want to look like it's an exercise in futility. I totally didn't get that. He's kind of double-handed here going around. He's like, coach, I'm running out of money. He's fundraising, but he's giving himself money. Okay, whatever. Yeah. I get it. Your explanation makes sense. The pushing (laughs) of the car, especially by Michael B. Jordan, made me think of the time that we had to drive Michael B.'s car away from set. Do you remember? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, I do. I mean, I remember vaguely some of it, and Mike is I probably going to kill me. all of it. You do? Okay, so <laughs> I'm going to tell my version of the story, and then you can tell me whether there's any mm-hmm. truth to okay. anything that I'm saying. Because, I mean, it was 10, 11 years ago. I just remember being scared to death that we actually had to drive this car because I was afraid that I was going to wreck it. I remember thinking I am definitely not cool enough to be driving this car. Meanwhile, as I said before, I'm going to get the story all wrong. But as I remember it, Mike had this like 1970s metallic blue or like metallic. Was it purple? Yeah. But I am right. Metallic purple, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. And was it like a Chevelle or a a Cadillac convertible? Or I think it was a Chevelle. It it was convertible. And he had just gotten it. He was like super proud. He had always wanted a vintage car and he finally got it. Yeah. I mean, this thing was beautiful. It was like customized to death from like the paint job to the rims to the sound system. So anyway, Michael B. got really, really sick on Mm -hmm. set one day and like they had to take him to the hospital. I think he had like food poisoning or maybe like a real bad case of the flu, but he was Mm -hmm. bad stomach virus of some kind. And I get a phone call from Nan Bernstein, who was our executive producer and line producer on the show, who we've had on the podcast. She calls me out of the blue one morning and she's like, Derek, you got to come into set. You got to get here now. And I'm like, what the hell's going on? And she's like, we're going to shoot the scene. And it was this monologue scene that I had with Luke Cafferty. We'll talk about that when that episode comes up. But she's like, you got to get to set. You got to get here now. And I'm like, what the hell's going on? She's like, Michael B is really, really sick. We're going to jump ahead in the schedule and we're going to shoot your scene now. Meanwhile, I didn't have that scene memorized Mm -hmm. at all. I'm like flying by the seat of my pants. It'll be fun to go back and rewatch that scene when we get to it. But that's in season five. But anyway, so I come rushing to set. And when I get there, Nan Bernstein hands me Mike's keys. And she's like, 
Mike said that you can drive his car back to his place. You're the only person that he trusts to drive it. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. As I said, if I remember correctly, my memory is that Mike's car had like spinners and hydraulics. Am I crazy? No, it wasn't that fancy yet. It wasn't? Okay. He was in the process of doing that. All right. In my mind, I'm like driving down the road, like popping switches and like... No, it was still very cool. But I definitely do remember like blaring gangster rap, driving down the road and thinking, I am so not cool enough to be driving this car. Mm Mm-hmm. But also thinking, it's pretty cool that I'm driving this car. What do you remember of that, Stacey? So I was filming another scene that day, and you were like, I have to take Michael's car back to his place. And I was like, I'm coming with you. And so we had this idea. I was like, wait, first, we're going to stop at this dollar store because I knew this dollar store had like stuff that we were going to soup out the interior of Mike's car. We were going to put like dice on the rear view. They had these really, really (laughs) disgusting, like fuzzy covers for the steering wheel. And we were going to do all this stuff (laughs) to the inside of his car and then give it to him. And then on the way to the dollar store, it didn't catch on fire, but it started smoking like crazy. The engine did. And so we stopped and called Transpo and Transpo took it out of there and we didn't get to drive anywhere. I just remember being nervous. That's all. I remember being nervous, like I'm going to wreck this car. But like in my mind, I'm like literally driving down the road, like popping switches. It was not that cool at all. We were driving to the dollar (laughs) store and it started smoking. It's way cooler in your head. Yeah, I guess so. So yeah, we never got to soup out the interior like we wanted to. But the Transpo, guys, Transpo has transportation on set. They take care of all of the cars and getting us the places we need to go and take all of the trailers and everything. Their job is ridiculous. They've also taken care of all of us when like my stupid idiot buddy Chris Moreno came in town and locked his keys in the car and Mm -hmm. like at the end of a 12 hour shoot day or 13 hour shoot day you're going back to your car and you've got a flat tire my keys got locked in my ignition and they helped me yeah I mean these guys are the best the best so they came and fixed Mike's car and got it to him. And Derek never got to drive that car again, which is weird. That's, uh, <sighs> yeah, that's the end terrible. of that story. Moving on with the episode. <laughs> Hello, Principal Levi Burnwell. It's just so fun to see faces that I remember. And I'm like, oh, I miss you. I do too. He's another one of my favorite underrated characters on this show. Troy Anthony Hogan is the actor who plays Levi Burnwell, the principal. Every time I see him, he just, it reminds me of this interview I saw with Philip Seymour Hoffman years and years ago, where he said that when he was growing up, he and his brother would watch films together and they would always like find like these random actors that would become like their favorite actors in any film. And it's like, oh, my favorite actors. And he'd like name off these guys that like you've never heard of before in your life. But Troy is one of those guys. Like there is not a false moment from him when he's on this show. Everything that he does is naturalistic and it's real and it feels like it lives in this world. Just a big shout out to Troy as an actor and a massive shout out to our casting directors, Beth Sepko, who did the local casting, and Linda Lowy, who cast all the like series regulars on this show, but also okayed those local hires. But Troy was just, he's fantastic. Great he's actor. So yeah, you could tell he loved those kids. Like, I fully lived and believed in his story. Yeah, and he just, he feels like he's in this world. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's nothing false about it. And it gives validity to some of these other characters and to, frankly, characters like me. I'm a half Jewish guy from Miami. I'm not from Texas. When you're around these guys, it helps you to feel like, okay, I'm in this world. This is how they act. This is how they react. It helps for sure. Question. Yes. How in the world did Becky ever get to school before she met Tim Riggins? (laughs) I actually wonder this. I want to know how far away she lives from the school. Yeah. I guess she's probably a sophomore, maybe. I don't know. And so like she had spent 10 years somehow getting to school without him, but now solely relies on him. If East Dillon didn't exist, really, maybe she didn't go to school. I don't know. I also feel like she's doing it because she's getting kind of a little crushy. on. Yeah, she's got a crush on Tim for sure. I feel like a couple of years ago, Tim would be like, no, 
like, get out of my trailer. I'm sleeping. Go away. Yeah. There's definitely an aspect of Tim that I could see doing that. Beat it, nerd. Kind of thing. If you remember correctly, like, I think it was season two when there's like the tornado episode or whatever. Oh, and yeah. then Julie he, gets drunk yeah. one night and this guy kind of hits on her and yeah. Tim protects her. He's also got like this big brother kind of fatherly vibe. And he's, he's shown that a few times on the show. True. He's also protective of women, which is actually very sweet if you think about it. Oh, everybody loves Tim. We get it. I get it now. Yeah. I didn't get it before. I get it now. No, but he does have a little bit of a caretaker vibe to him for sure. I also had literally no clue Sam Yeager was on our show, who of course went on to Parenthood to play. Joel Graham had no clue he was on Friday Night Lights. Yeah, Sam plays the Under Armour guy in this episode, the the Under Armour. Oh, yeah. Shout out, by the way, to our Under Armour sponsorship. Yes. Sam is in and out of this episode. In fact, I'm pretty sure this is his only scene. But I'm also pretty sure that they had shot the pilot for Parenthood at this point in time, which is why Kadams cast him in this small part. Jason Kadams, by the way, loves reusing actors on different shows that he works on. On Parenthood alone, Matt Loria was on there. Michael B. Jordan was on there. Scott Porter was on there. Minka Kelly was on there. Jeff Rosick was on there. I was on there. And Stacey, you were supposed to do a guest spot thing with me, Jesse Plemons, and Stephanie Hunt at one point, but you were busy. Were you doing a play? What were you doing? I think I was, but also I got offered a recurring on Parenthood and my movie wouldn't let me out for the one day I needed to be there before we wrapped. And I got got really mad. I can't, I'm not going to say what the part is because then some actress went and auditioned and like deserved it, but they wrote it for me and I couldn't do it. And I got very mad. That sucks. That's one of the worst parts about this business. I mean, like, how lucky am I that that's a thing I get to say, but I wanted to be on Parenthood so No, of course. (laughs) It was a great show. And I mean, I only got to do one episode on there. And then we did like a little crossover thing that was kind of like a behind the scenes thing. With May, right? Yeah. 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 I wanted to do that too. Yeah. They wouldn't let me out of work. It was so bad. But it was a really good group over there at Parenthood. And yeah, as I said before, I mean, Kadams really likes using actors that he's worked with before. I think also those guys were such huge fans of FNL, the actors and the writers room that I wonder if Sam was like, please just let me do one day. Just let me come on one day. Just let me do one. It's really one of the only shows that I've ever worked on where I came on set and I felt like a celebrity because they were all big fans, writers, producers, actors on the show. (laughs) Dax Shepard was like, hey, man, how are you? It's nice to meet you. And I'm like, weird. Because you're way more famous than I am. Yeah. Me and Annie were at a restaurant one day and Dax and Kristen came up and would not stop talking about FNL. And we were like, oh, we also love you, by the way. You're amazing. Yeah, for sure. I was a big fan of Dax Shepard. Oh, I wanted to talk about the Under Armour thing real quick as well. (laughs) As you said, like Sam's character, he's playing the Under Armour salesman. But Under Armour was one of our sponsors on the show. And you've probably picked up on this at this point in time if you've been watching the show. All the uniforms, all the cleats, all the gloves, all the jackets, etc. were Under Armour gear. And this was a not so subtle shout out to Under Armour in this moment. But I don't know. Did you have a problem with it? Because I didn't really have a problem with it. No, especially if I was watching this, I don't think I would even notice. But it's so obvious sometimes. I'm going to show Derek, but you guys can't see. If someone's in a scene and they're like drinking a can of Coke and they make sure that the Coke is pointed towards the camera. Labels out. This was just like, yeah, coaches worked with them forever. Also, I have so many Under Armour hoodies and t-shirts now because of them. I swear when we were doing this show, because we got so much stuff for free from Under Armour, I mean... a I lot had of hoodies. backpacks and hoodies and jackets. Yeah. And I swear it was like a four year period of time where pretty much everything I wore and or carried with me was mm-hmm. Under Armour. You should have seen me when I was like playing flag football. I look like I was a, a walking Under Armour ad. Yeah, literally. I mean, I had Under Armour wristbands and gloves, oh and cleats and shorts. Hey, shout out Under Armour. Hit us up. Sponsor yeah. our podcast. Under Armour. 
The only way is through. I'm kidding. They don't sponsor this podcast. Maybe they They should. They don't, but maybe they will. Feel free to drop us a check, Under Armour. (laughs) Jeez Louise. One other thing. I'm bouncing around here, Stacey. I'm bouncing around this episode. I'm with you. I'm with you. Things getting a little chippy over at this uh, Dylan Panther booster meeting. (laughs) We got a great close-up shot, though, of Brad Leland in this scene. And as you can see, the wheels are turning in his head. I mean, you could cut glass with the stare he's given Joe McCoy. You just know that Buddy Garrity is wanting to defect over the Lions. This is all happening, right? His coach is trying to figure out how he's going to get uniforms for East Dillon, but also trying to figure out how the hell he's going to even keep the team around. It's good storytelling, and I love the idea that Buddy Garrity may potentially become an East Dillon Lion. Yeah, it's good that they didn't just make it happen either, that he didn't just go with coach. Yes. Because he wouldn't. He's a Panther, like, to the bone. So they have to give him enough motivation, like little nudges to where he's like, I got to leave. You guys, I I quit. I quit. And I I love watching him struggle with it. I love watching him struggle with it. And as an audience, we're just going, come on, buddy. We need you. Come on over. (laughs) Coach needs you. We see a little clip real quick of the inside of the East Dillon Lions locker room. I just wanted to tell the audience a really interesting behind the scenes tidbit. The East Dillon locker room is actually the visitor side of the Dillon Panther field house. So the front of the field house has the Panther blue and gold and the back of that building is the East Dillon red and white. It's painted red and white. So it's actually all one building. And like a lot of things on this show, done on the cheap, multitasking. It was an extant building. The building was there long before Friday Night Lights ever got there. I noticed later when Luke is walking out of Coach's office that it made me realize that Panther's locker room was like warm and like expensive and felt very important. And there was this really echoey sound of Luke's cleats just hitting concrete on the way out. And you could just hear how like, empty that locker yeah. room was. And like, I don't know if that was intentional, but I loved it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, our art directors did such a wonderful job of creating those two environments. And it's crazy when you think about, it. I mean, they are literally in the same building. You walk through an archway and all of a sudden you're in the East Dillon locker room. That one archway, it's like, wow, I am in a very different place. You're not hitting the P anymore. You're not smacking the P. Smacking the, the P. P. Matt, Maddie, has been trying to get advice out of Richard, the artist, for a while, and he seems just like not the type of guy to do it. But when they're at that bar and Richard gives him the speech about being an artist, I watched it twice. The first I was like, oh, he's just like, he's so crotchety and whatever. And then I was like, nope, you know what? He's a little bit right. Becoming an artist and the life that you have to lead and how weird it can be to any relationships you have that like aren't used to that. Like, hey, I'm going to go leave for six months and go live in another country and the things that you do, like it's hard. I mean, I agree with you. And I also agree a little bit with what he's saying. I mean, there's yeah, some sacrifices. Yeah, I don't sacrifices. think it's selfish, but no. it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. And there are definitely sacrifices that need to be made. And I think if you really want to pursue a career in the arts, it's not that you can't have a relationship or that you can't fall in love or that you can't have a special someone, but that special someone has to understand what it is you do or that will become a point of contention. And at some point there will be an ultimatum thrown out. And that's something that I've dealt with in relationships. And probably part of the reason that I'm still single is that I've been unwilling to have that ultimatum. The ultimatum, also the uncertainty of when you're not working, like everything, literally everything about being an artist is hard and also just like sort of giving faith over that things will work. But like, I can't imagine working in a 
cubicle in a nine to five job. Like my brain no. just isn't built for no. it. I can't do it. You know, it's cliche, but I mean, every acting class I ever had started with the teacher saying, if there's anything else that you would rather do, do it now. And That's I mean, there's some to truth people. to it, you know, Absolutely. like this business is very, very difficult. Any artistic endeavor, mm-hmm. you know, if you're striving to make a living in that profession, it's very difficult. And in some respects, it is kind of a selfish business. You know, you're focused on you. My phone rings at five o'clock and it's like, I may have had plans that night, but I've got an audition that's due the next day. Yeah. That's what I'm doing, guys. You know, yeah. and I remember having a wedding a few years back. My buddy was getting married and I was supposed to be in the wedding and I booked a job and I called him and I was like, hey, man, I'm not going to be able to make it. And I don't think he understood at the time why I wasn't going to make it to his wedding. I said a few years back, this was probably almost 20 years ago. But shortly after that, I booked Friday Night Lights and he came to set and he saw what a film set looks like and a television yeah. set looks like. And it happened to be one of the days we were shooting the football scenes. And in his mind, it was like, why can't you just reschedule whatever it is you're doing or the shoot that you're on. And when he came to set and he saw that there were 500 extras there, plus a crew of 100, it's like there is no rescheduling. You're working this day or you're just not in the show. That's difficult, I think, for people that are outside of our business to understand. I mean, I remember I had a roommate in LA and I called him one day and this was during the second or third season of Friday Night Lights. And I called him and I said, hey, I got a phone call. I'm going back down to shoot in Austin. He's like, oh, nice. He's like, when are you back? And I said, I'll be back in four months. He's like, oh, when are you leaving? I said, I'll be gone before you get home tonight. And so that's just how it went. You know, I got a phone call from Friday Night Lights. I knew that the phone call was going to be coming, but I didn't know that they were going to book me for the whole entire season. And I was gone for four months and literally never saw that apartment again. He had to move out. You know, that's the kind of thing when you got a wife and children and stuff like that, it can be very, very difficult. So in some respects, this guy is very right. There's a kernel truth. That's harsher than I would ever put it, but... Yes, 100%. He does not have the greatest bedside manner, but there is definitely some truth to what he's saying. Going forward with my negativity. What? So Coach ends up paying the Under Armour guy. I'm going to call him Sam because that's who I know Sam as. Like he writes him a personal check from his own bank account. Mm -hmm. And now... He lies to Tammy again. He said it was for something, bills or something. Yeah, I think he said laundry or something like that. Yeah, yes, it was dry cleaning. It was like $30. 45 Lying to Tammy again after he just did it the last episode. And last episode, I was like, okay, you're a fallible person. You get it. You get one. You're going to do it in two episodes now, back to back? You know what I think is fascinating about this, though? I mean, I don't think that this is like the writers just being like, oh, oops. I think that they're doing this on purpose because it's showing that Coach is flawed. But not only that, like the fact that like we've spent the last three and a half seasons seeing him make all these right choices, but he's never really been challenged like this. His character is being challenged. And I think that we're seeing that he isn't a perfect guy. And I love that our writers chose to tell that story. I mean, at this moment, in this very moment, he is a desperate, desperate man and he's hanging by a thread. And we're so used to seeing this guy being this amazing leader who always makes the right choice, who always has the answers. It's kind of fun, I mean, as an audience to take this journey with Coach right now. He's flailing. And to be honest with you, we don't know if he's going to make it back up to the surface. Nelson Mandela says that courage is not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. And we haven't seen Coach afraid before, but we're actually seeing him afraid in this episode. I think it's kind of interesting because he's doing these things that are kind of uncharacteristic and uncoach. He gets drunk in this episode and can't drive his car back. But he didn't get drunk because he was having fun. He got drunk because he was trying to alleviate stress, which coach would tell coach is not the way to handle things. Because, I mean, first rule of like alcoholism is that 
You can't drink it away. Those problems are going to be there tomorrow. And Coach should know that. Coach even gives a speech to somebody later in this episode when he's talking to Luke Cafferty about Luke Cafferty taking responsibility for his own actions. And it's like, hello, Coach, what about your own actions? It is true that I never thought about how easy he had it with the Panthers because they had so much money. Yeah. Not easy as a coach. The kids were still hard, but like he didn't worry about this stuff. But I kind of dig this. It's why I think we love Harrison Ford so much as an action hero. Just go on this journey with me. I know this is going to sound a little crazy. When you watch like a lot of these action movies, if the guy's so cool and he's never under pressure and he's never scared for his life, then you don't really care so much about the journey. But it doesn't matter how badass Harrison Ford is in any movie that he's in, whether it's Han Solo or Indiana Jones, he's afraid of snakes. There's fear in his eyes. That's what courage is, is being afraid, but still going forward. Like watching Coach struggle, struggle with what the moral decision is in certain situations, struggle with his own belief in himself. That's fascinating. And also the fall from grace that he had from being the coach that took them to state. Now he doesn't even have jerseys. Yeah. And what Burnwell says to him, like he's doubting himself. And I don't think we've ever seen Coach doubt himself. But I'm just saying he lied to Tan. No, 100%. I'm not excusing it. (laughs) Oh, I'm not excusing it at all, but I am saying it's fun as an audience member to watch it. Principal Burnwell says to him at the start of this episode, basically like, this was a joke. And the only one who didn't get it is you. I think that's kind of a smack in the face. Like he didn't get it. He didn't understand that nobody wanted him to take this job. And like, he has no backing. He has no support. He's on his own and he's flailing. And that's fun to watch. Because you make bad decisions in those moments. We'll see what happens. I do want to say that I love this scene that happens right after that with Coach and Buddy when they're at this bar in the middle Mm -hmm. of nowhere. I don't know where locations found this bar, but it looks like it's in the middle of some swamp in Louisiana or something. It's like up on stilts or something. It does look like a little tiki room. It's great because it's definitely like outside the city limits of Dillon. They had to meet somewhere outside of Dylan to have this drink. Buddy can't be seen with Coach yet. No, not of course yet. not. And I love that Buddy's like looking over his shoulder the whole entire time. And he's worried that like his phone might be tapped. It's good stuff. I'm sitting there the whole time going, come on, buddy. Come on. The grass is greener over here. Come on, buddy. More poking. More poking for that character. Tim goes to Coach and is trying to hype up Luke. And he's like, I'm working with this kid. He's really good. You should try him, whatever. And Coach says to Tim that Luke needs to, quote, Show up, shut up, and work hard. And I'm putting that on a t-shirt because I love it. You should. I like that. Show up, shut up, and work hard. What's the other one? Talk low, talk slow, and don't say too much. Talk less, smile more. That's from Hamilton, guys. (laughs) I also totally (laughs) forgot Jess is like this football genius. I actually forgot that like later she comes to work with the team. Yeah, she becomes an assistant coach. Not because I don't care, but because it's been like 10 years. Yes. (laughs) When she started giving Landry advice, I was like, oh, that's right. You're like really good at this. Yeah. I'm also enjoying the little sparks flying between her and Landry. It's cute. Cute. You're cute. I just, as I said before, I want something for Landry. I want something good for Landry. Yeah. I don't want him to have to keep murdering people. I just want him to find love. I hope he doesn't murder more people. He doesn't murder anybody else. That we know of. It was defense. That's true. It was manslaughter. Yeah. Him and Maddie. I want good things for both of them. Yes. Oh, Stacy. by the way, you'll be happy to know that Coach gets busted for his lie about the check. When are you ever going to lie to Tammy Taylor and think that you're going to get away with it? That woman knows everything. Yeah, you're not going to get away with it. I would never lie to Tammy Taylor. So meanwhile, Coach shows up at Luke's family farm and there's his father, played by Barry Tubb, a.k.a. Wolfman from Top Gun. Top Gun? Wolfman? And the only thing that I can think of the whole entire time that this scene is going on is, 
Where the hell's Slider? More importantly, Coach has a convo with Luke, and Luke has agreed to take on more of a leadership role with the team, and Coach promises Luke he'll do everything in his power to get Luke to the next level. So they both have kind of accepted their station in life in this moment. Luke is accepting the fact that he's with East Dillon now. There is no going back. And Coach is saying, hey, man, I'm going to give you a fair shot, but you got to help me out. Just the desperation from Luke, too, when he's like, I have to get out of here. Like, looking around, he's like, I can't stay working, like, hailing bay. Bailing hay? Whatever. Hailing bay? What is happening? Like, I can't stay bailing hay my whole life. My only way out of here is a scholarship. You grew up in Texas. I have bailed some hay. Have you? Yeah, because I used to ride horses. Not these delicate fingers. Not a chance. No, not a chance. Also, okay, we talked about it a little bit in the questions. That dude at that fancy party really fully called Tammy Taylor a bitch and my blood boiled and my face got really hot, but also it seems that so did buddies. It did. And this is the moment I've been waiting for since the start of season four. Buddy Garrity has left the Panthers, everybody, and he's bringing his evil genius over to East Dillon. And I am excited. Everything is good now. Now the Lions will win. Also, (laughs) the best parting line out of a scene when he gives them a clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. And then he just walks away. Good stuff. That's some mic drop stuff. Meanwhile, the East Dillon Lions have new uniforms. And these new uniforms, kids, they look pretty sharp. I'm not going to lie. They were pretty good. And they remind me a little bit of the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Don't you think, Stace? Yes. Isn't that Scott's team? That is Scott's team. He loves yes. those Cornhuskers. They are not very good this year. They haven't been very good for a while. But anyway, yeah, the uniforms are pretty sharp looking. But unfortunately, their performance on the field isn't much better in their second outing. But all about little victories and hey they didn't get shut out this time so that's good they finished the game they finished the game Vince made a touchdown coach didn't have to check Landry's teeth to see if they were all still there no but ooh Vince did get in coach's face ooh yes he did this is gonna go back a tiny little bit I really wanna know if our art department made that angel structure that's Richard's art or if they found it somewhere because it's so, so good. I actually want to ask. I need to call Nan. We need to call Scott, our props guy who we had on the show. We'll call Scott and ask him. So good. And also, I'd like to know where it is because I would like to buy it. But yes, getting back to the game, I don't know that we have ever seen a student talk to coach that way, especially on the field in front of everyone in his face. I love when the camera cuts over to Tammy in that scene because her eyes go wide like, whoa. I feel like, well, maybe just because there's more coverage of football now, like every game is televised and we have cameras on the sidelines, cameras here, cameras there. We see everything that happens. But I feel like this is something that would happen rarely back in the day. And nowadays, I feel like something like this happens once a week, whether it's in the NFL or college or whatever. A coach getting in a player's face, a player getting in a coach's face. A player ripping off their shirt and walking off the field and quitting the team halfway through the game. That was nuts. Antonio (laughs) Brown did that like a year ago. And it was like, what the hell is going on? You're correct, though. It was probably the most intense I think any student has ever been with coach. I just can't imagine talking to coach like that. My God, that's what we talked about before. That's moxie. I don't have that. But Michael B. brought it. Oh, yeah. You know, it's not coming out of left field, though, because we had that scene with him earlier in the episode where he's playing basketball with Ernest. They're talking about Luke Cafferty because it's kind of obvious that coach is like showing some favoritism to Luke at this point in time. Yeah, and Luke's like a superstar and everyone knows him. And he's constantly yelling at Vince. And so Vince is interpreting it as a white bias kind of thing, which, I mean, look, wouldn't be the first time in the history of sports that a white coach or that a white man was biased towards a black athlete or a black person in general. So I don't think he's pulling that out of left field. I think if he knew coach better, he probably wouldn't feel that way. But yeah, hopefully he will. There's also a moment, God, Michael B, where you just see him 
eat it and take it and swallow it and be like, okay, I'm going to go back and do the thing you told me to. And like, I don't think that's a thing he's ever done before. So to watch that turn, like maybe for the first time was so good. Yeah. And I mean, they go back in there, they're supposed to be kicking a field goal. You know, it's garbage time. The game's basically over. Just kick a field goal, get some points. It'll be a tiny bit of a moral victory. There's a fumble on the snap. The ball's bouncing around. It ends up in Vince's hands. Vince bowls one guy over, jukes another guy, winds up getting a touchdown. Mm -hmm. And as they're celebrating in the end zone, it's like, okay, great. He's still in, finally put some points on the board, but at the same time, camera cuts over to coach. There are no small victories at this point in time. I mean, first off, I want to talk about Michael B. Jordan in this scene. There's just a rawness to Mike. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's visceral. I think that's another reason why immediately I was just attracted to his character. We haven't seen him on this show before, a character like that. Yeah, but that angers, I mean... Mike can pull that out. Boom. It's really lovely to watch. The episode ends with Coach lying in bed. He's unable to sleep. He's staring up at the ceiling. And for the first time, I think as an audience, we're seeing that Coach may have bitten off more than he can chew. As I said, this touchdown, it's like, oh, there's some silver lining. And it's like, no, I don't think there is at this point. I think Coach is doubting himself. And I think he doesn't know what the next step is. And it's a lovely way to kind of end it. Like there's still a little bit of hope like, oh, this is what they could be. Yeah. He is a really good football player. But like, yeah, if I was coach, I'd be like, no, we're completely screwed. Yeah. When do I back out and say no? And I mean, that's the thing about Vince's character too, is that like Vince is just loaded with raw talent, but how do you harness it? How do you get this kid who's grown up in this horrible environment that has massive trust issues to eventually trust you? And so I think that's going to be the big thing moving forward with coach because Luke Cafferty may be the guy that you want to be the leader or that coach is trying to help become the leader, but this team only works if Vince is on board. And at this point, Coach, there's a massive chasm between him and Vince. How do you bridge that gap? I honestly don't know what happens. We're going to find out next week because that's the end of our show. Yep, that's it for Season 4, Episode 3. But join us next time for Season 4, Episode 4, titled A Sort of Homecoming. But until then, clear eyes. Full hearts. Can't lose. Clear Eyes, Full Hearts is a podcast presentation of Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. Executive producers are Stacey Oristano and Derek Phillips, Chris and Mindy Wimmer for Black Barrel Media, and Steve Walters for Ritual Productions. Our producer is Miranda Parham. Send your questions to Pod at gmail.com. And follow us on social media. I'm on Instagram at Stacey Oristano. And I'm also on Instagram at underscore Derek Phillips. Check us out on YouTube and blackbarrelmedia.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.